Hey there! Did you know Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower-than-low prices? And when you download the Kroger app, you'll enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. And don't forget fuel points to help you save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. Want to save even more? With a Boost membership, you'll get double fuel points and free delivery. So shop and save big at Kroger today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Why wait to see if you'll get something you like this Valentine's Day when you can go to BlueNile.com and find something you'll love? Whether you're looking to treat yourself to a little winter sparkle or show a galantine how much you appreciate them, Blue Nile offers a wide selection of high-quality designs, expert guidance, and free 30-day returns for the ultimate peace of mind. You can even design your own jewelry. Right now, save up to 50% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cold open question of the day, Brendan Clean. Dominating himself, DeAndre Ayton, couldn't dominate the snow and the inclement weather and did make a Blazers game the other day due to said weather. Before I finish this question, I do want to say that having seen videos in Portland, having been someone who has my entire life lived in snow weather and oftentimes it gets crazy, I understand it's it's not always fun or safe to drive in. Preface that. But is this now the greatest reason ever in your view that a player hasn't appeared in the NBA game? that functionally DeAndre Ayton got an adult snow day? I'm happy for the man. It is extra bad that this was supposed to be his return from a lengthy ankle sprain, or or I think it was a knee injury. And, uh, you know, if you remember back to how his season ended last year in Phoenix, where there were some rumors that the locker room was not thrilled, that he did not tough out a rib injury and try to take down Nicole Jokic in the Nuggets. Um, It's not looking good for our guy, D.A., but as far as setting his personal uh, injury history aside, it's it's awesome. It has to be. I don't know of another similar thing I've ever heard of. I love the Blazers sideline reporter, though. I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but Mm mid-game fessing up to the fact that not only did she have to deal with pretty significant ice and snow in her driveway and outside of her home, she also had a like a broken ankle and is on like crutches and a cast and just making DA look uh, extra ridiculous for not being able to, to get through it. Cause she had an actual injury on top of the, the weather. But the only other thing I could think of that was even close is the throwing of soup in your backyard once oh upon a time. God. But that was not directly like he missed the game because of like, some sort of absence, but that's like the same level of attention grabbing, insane headline that feels like NBA Reddit made it up. Yeah, I I I should have my Cleveland card revoked for forgetting about the soup. You didn't I forget just, though. It's just a different. It's a little bit of a different situation. So I, I don't know if it fully counts in this category. But do you do you have another one come to mind of? A crazier no. or more hilarious absence? No, no, because number I this is so this is I feel this in the Midwest of my bones, right? This is like someone moves to the Midwest and isn't used to driving in the snow and like doesn't know how to do it, so they get their car stuck. Energy. I don't. Yeah. I I don't know what kind of car DeAndre Ayton drives, but he's from the Bahamas and went to college and started this professional career in Arizona. 
does this guy just like maybe have like a nice sports car and with thin tires and maybe should just get something that can drive through snow? Like, yes, a, but there was also like reporting at the night of that the team sent representatives and they had like tow crews out there. Like it was uh, it was all hands on deck to excavate DeAndre Ayton from his home that night. And, and, and it was literally like how many trailblazers does it take to get a seven footer to the arena type of situation? And the answer was there's no amount that can do it. All I'm saying is maybe the NBA PA should add to like their rookie course, like hey, breakout session. Anyone who's gonna live in a snow in a cold market that isn't like New mm-hmm. York City, if you're gonna maybe have to drive somewhere and can't get someone to drive you or take public transit, then hey, here's how to like shovel a driveway. Here's how to use a snowblower. Here's how to make sure you have a car with four wheel drive so you could drive over the snow. I just feel like this is basic basic adulting kind of thing where something wacky happened that we don't really know but i feel like this is kind of like downdre and this is like a very you, you kind of just gotta learn how to be more of an adult in the situation and and like have a car in a situation where like hey you know maybe like pre-shovel your driveway a little bit put some salt down you know like there's just some very basic things you also have enough mm-hmm. money where i think you could have hired someone to just like get your I, I just have lots of questions and i'm just saying executive committee Time to get back to some working class roots and get your cold weather guys ready for for the winter months. It's all it's all I'm saying. Not everyone or can play just in Miami. a nice directory of who to hire to do it for you. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a down Drayton. Do some like Instagram ads. Like like you get like M- local NBA ads for like window companies or whatever. Just get one for someone who's gonna like snowplow your drive for you. This seems like sure. a win win for all parties. But this is for me clearly number one this is incredible all right coming up on today's show we've got a jam-packed episode for you caitlin clark and the iowa hawkeyes lose to ohio state we got some pretty wild slop we've got some celtics nuggets takeaways WNBA for agency and we're going to talk about magic sixers a jam-packed episode of the just basketball show coming your way right now Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brandon Clean. This is your twice weekly look at all things basketball. That is women's, that is men's, that is the draft, that is trade slop, that is games, that is Dad Drayton getting stuck in his house due to inclement weather. That is everything in under the sun here at the Just Basketball Show. Please, if you have not already, follow us on your podcast app platform of choice. Five stars only. Hit subscribe on our Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. And I want to tell you about our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with code JUSTBASKETBALL and Thrive is going to match your first deposit up to $250. We're going to get into some slop a bunch more shortly, but Brendan, we have to start with a game that wrapped just a little bit before 
we started recording. That is the Iowa Hawkeyes, the pre, the soon to not be no longer ranked number two Iowa Hawkeyes and Caitlin Clark losing in overtime to the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus, a game mm-hmm. that in retrospect, I, I you know would have messed up our recording here. I should have made the two hour drive to get to that game. I have a lot of regret about this. I'm having some FOMO of not being in that game would have been worth it. I did, the tickets though got really expensive, and until uh, <laughs> game any ticket sponsor wants to work with us, we're available for business. And I would have gone as promo. I'm just just throwing that out there. <laughs> but Brendan, what this game? Caitlin Clark has another 40 point game. But I came away looking at this and saying, there's this one big thing for her in her college career that we think is going to end in a couple of months. It could at least end in a couple of months that she has not done, and that is win a national championship. That is the one thing, if you look at her resume, that she could leave college that she hasn't done yet without doing. Yep. You look at this game, you look at how her Iowa team is not particularly athletic, how their zone defense was just easily picked apart and they had no counters, that they felt very reliant on the her just kind of bailing them out over and over and over again against a good but I think not great Ohio State team. Mm-hmm. She is just not – this was already clear, I think – but she is not just going to be able to walk through the tournament and get that last thing. If she's going to get the one thing left to do on her resume in college, it's going to take everything she has. Yeah, I I just don't think the roster is good enough. I, I just think... It's not. She... But, like, even if it took... Like, I mean, what... It, she had 45 and 7 today, you know? And, like, okay, yeah. she had seven turnovers and misses that glass off glass layup late in overtime and then you know ends up getting the offensive re- team ends up getting the offensive rebound and gets to the line anyway but it, there's just not much more she can do like we've seen her do this she was this way in the tournament she obviously lost her low post uh companion in monica zanano to uh dental school i believe I, I actually think i've said dental school before and somebody corrected me some sort of doctor school and I just don't I just don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough. And I watch other teams around the country. Some newcomers, some teams she already had to go through and maybe wasn't successful against last year, and I just I don't see it. I don't think that they like you said are athletically equivalent close to some of these other schools. I don't think that there's a, a second option here that is going to be able to step up. I mean, what happens if she's good about keeping this in check, but even foul trouble or a, a, an injury or any sort of small thing that could happen to her along the way, you're telling me, you know, winning multiple rounds of a tournament. It sucks. I hate it. I would be awesome to see her win a, cha- win a, a national championship with Iowa and that program has really needed her and got, got back on track because of her, but it doesn't seem like it's in the cards unless, uh, you know, a lot of the teams ahead of them falter for some uh, reason. But we should also just say all due respect, all, all praise to Ohio State for their performance in this game. Yeah. I mean, they did everything possible. They they even came very close to botching this game at the end of regulation, and I was really worried for them for a second. But what McMahon in particular did, 33 points, mm-hmm. 12 boards, getting wherever she wants in this game. J.C. Sheldon with another really good game, 24-3-7 and seven for her. Their whole team, I think, really just coming up big. 
over and over again, but really McMahon and Sheldon and, and Taylor as well with some timely buckets, including the, I think what was ultimately the, the game tying one or game go ahead one in regulation at a certain point, they did yeah. everything they possibly could and, and took it to Iowa at moments where I think other teams would have just kind of gotten overwhelmed by Caitlin Clark, but they stuck to defensive principles really well. And they absolutely shredded that Iowa zone over and over and over again. Yeah. I, I've always liked watching this Ohio State team. This program tends to just play a pretty pro. It feels like on both their men's and women's college programs tend to be a little closer to the pro game. And so I've always kind of gravitated toward it. And you see how it can come through. They're getting up. Everybody on the team seems to be able to shoot the three. Ball movement's good. They have size. It's like, okay, you know, you can kind of see why they would be a team to take Iowa down, which brings me to my biggest point here. And we saw some footage, some very, uh, you know, investigative journalism being done on Twitter uh, right after the game with the court rushing and a, and a collision with Caitlin Clark. Ohio State fans need to act like they've been there before. These teams are pretty evenly matched. We know rankings don't matter in terms of team quality, but both teams were ranked. Ohio State had one, two more losses heading into this game than Iowa did, and they're conference rivals. Like, you can't act like winning this game just because Caitlin Clark is famous is like the end-all, be-all of your season. Like, you're a good team with a lot of talent. You could win a national championship. You can't be, you know, jumping the gun on some Sunday morning Peacock game like it's the, uh, you know, the, the greatest thing that's ever happened to the university. So that was a little weird. I think uh, I think the fans need maybe maybe this win will coach them and now they have to surpass this one to storm the court again but you got to save the storming for the moments that really matter and unfortunately beating a, a kind of mid Iowa team even with Caitlin Clark's greatness does not qualify for that uh, level of, of reaction in my opinion yeah mid for it's like funny that they're also number two and they're like we kind of all mm-hmm. kind of understand that they're kind of mid uh they were mm-hmm. Again, number two in the country and seventeen and one, but I, I think everyone kind of sees South Carolina as the far and away best team in the country right yeah. now, and it's kind of a cluster. Otherwise, Big Ten tournament too should be fun. I was ranked in the top twenty-five. Ohio State ranked in the top twenty-five. Iowa ranked in the top twenty-five. Um, and you've you know like it, it's also Michigan State got two votes in the top twenty-five poll last week. So. You have a good conference there. More challenges ahead for Ken Clark and Iowa and Ohio State. I kind of I do hope we get these teams playing again. That that to me would be fun if we could get another Ohio State Iowa matchup for the in the Big Ten tourney. Yeah, looking forward to it. On the topic of college and on the topic of tickets, I went to see Bronny James on Saturday. Can we can we spend oh, like yeah. five minutes on this because yeah, Brent, I, I was anxiously awaiting. Yeah, I was anxiously awaiting this this game and. I'm hoping actually to go see the Stanford women's team next Friday, but this is like my last year of Pac-12 conference play for men's and women's to take advantage of. So I wanted to see USC and then obviously uh, Isaiah Collier, who is likely a top 10 pick in the NBA draft, is hurt right now and Boogie Ellis, their veteran guard, also out. So USC got stomped. But it was an interesting kind of test for Bronny in particular because they basically started have started running him at point with those injuries. And what ASU did was basically said, all right, you guys are inexperienced. Your, your veteran decision maker and your star guard are, are on the bench and you're playing this athletic, not really a point guard, you know, prodigy kid on your, as, your, as your ball handler. We're going to run like a, a zone press from minute one to minute 40. 
and uh, they they couldn't break it. Bronny Bronny was in hell a little bit. They had multiple uh, turnovers of not being able to cross the timeline in time. They were getting the ball deflected because they just couldn't advance it, whatever. But you watched him the other night and you were texting me, I think the night that they were on ESPN and, and LeBron was mm-hmm. kind of trying to look around the reporters at what was going on. And it feels like we're on the same page here, which is he may go to the NBA. I don't think he's an NBA player right now. And it's just very weird, polar opposite kind of pulling him in both directions thing here where it's like developmentally, I actually think he could be a pretty good pro, but I Mm -hmm. think he'd be the best pro he can be if he stays but you may have heard his dad is the most famous athlete in the world, potentially, and already is putting pressure on other NBA teams to draft him in the potential to get LeBron. So that is not going to work in his best interest, I think, developmentally. It's it's very weird, and I think we overlook the dude as a basketball player when we're kind of getting caught up in all the drama and the gossip of all of it. It's, it's a guy who needs time. It's a guy who is not a, a point guard, but is the size of a point guard and, and needs a lot of work on his game, I think. Yeah. On top of that, he has been through something health-wise incredibly severe. Yeah. Maybe just that adds on time to this. You know, he's playing. That speaks to more of where he's at than than anything we could we could say here, but it's important I think to note that like it's it's also just like okay if it takes time, but like if you know if the the Lakers to make him happy. If the Cavs in an attempt to woo LeBron back home are like, well, you use a first round pick on Bronny and what is considered a bad draft, and he can play with the G League a bunch and yeah. travel to some road trips, and we do that, and we get LeBron back. Teams would jump on that, and that's also not good. I there is a. I want to see him succeed because I think it would be cool if he could just find his own footing. It's obviously very odd. Like, there's not really. Like I don't know, I we were, social media has made this different. He's kind of a big social media star in his own way already, and I don't mm-hmm. think Michael Jordan's kids are like that. I think I, I mean the most I see from Michael Jordan they weren't as talented. One, yeah, and then one of them is now like marrying Larsa Pippen, which is just like very weird. Just like that whole thing is is just very weird. Bronny's a, it's a little more just uncomfortable in the sense that you he's clearly just in this weird zone that there's not really like a way for us to, to look at it, but he doesn't like he's starting and that's cool. And he physically looks like developed for his size, but you're right. Like he's not a point guard, but he's point guard height. And there's all these. Yeah. I mean, he's, just, he's six, he's four, fine. like his length isn't, I, mean, I think it's probably a plus wingspan type of thing, but he's not like, you know, seven foot two wingspan at six, four, like he's tailing Horton Tucker or something. It, it, he just is sort of a, a small guy and and that that frame the limitations of that are pretty heightened i think in the modern era of, of the nba you you have to be able to shoot or be a really really versatile kind of switchable defender it's not to say he can't become any of those things but it's it's a unique kind of archetype that he's trying to work himself into and i think that's Mostly why I say he needs time. I agree. Like physically, I mean, he could go 
play summer league this year if he were to get drafted and I'm sure he'd have flashes like he's there athletically it's more of just kind of what is he going to be I think he's a really good passer like he was making some reads just kind of drop passes in the pick and roll or finding cutters and, and he like really gets hyped off that stuff in a way that obviously you can tell the family he comes from but yeah it's it's going to be interesting kind of what what he becomes and I hope it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of transactions or whatever and I don't I don't personally feel like LeBron would allow it to you know I I do think he cares about this stuff and he's even kind of with the SI story last year and whatever kind of tried to maybe back a little bit off of the pressure and everything of we're all going to play together and it's all going to be up to me and this and that and I think he's kind of you know starting to it's becoming more real and he's he's taking his hands off the wheel a little bit there but yeah I, I mean this is actually a funny comp and I totally didn't plan this but I actually was trying to think of who is he like what could he be in the NBA and DeJounte Murray actually did come to mind Mm. Not not perfect. I think he's a little bit more physical than Dejounte, a little bulkier. But Marcus, as far Marcus as smarts a, the, the Marcus smarts the body type comp I've seen that makes the most sense to me. Sure, Marcus is bigger, you know. Yeah. but yeah, yeah, body type. Sure, Dejounte's like I said, he's he's a little scrawnier. But in terms of play style, it's like a point guard who doesn't defend one through you know probably like one and one two and threes maybe and. His passing is better than his shooting. That was sort of where my head was at. But yeah, it's uh, I guess we can pivot to DeJounte. But the, the Bronny stuff is going to be very fascinating, especially because this team's not great. So, you know, are they even going to make the tournament? He's on a team with another lottery prospect. It's it's a very, very weird, weird situation. And you mentioned he's starting. I don't know how long that lasts because when those guys get back, I think he'll be right back to the bench and we'll have even less to draw from. And so will NBA teams as far as what he's going to be. It's going to get weird with him, and that's not great. All right, DeJounte Murray. Very clutch of you, Brendan, to uh, to sneak in that little segue mm-hmm. organically for us there. So Chris Haynes mm-hmm. last week uh, reported that the Milwaukee Bucks are among multiple teams who are registering interest in trading for Atlanta Hawks star DeJounte Murray. League sources tell NBA and TNT in App Bleacher Report. Two things about this, Brendan. Number one, Chris Haynes is again very plugged into the Bucks. He's tight with Dame. He is, I think, connected via it's like a, like a sister in law or something. That is, is there like there's some connection to Giannis now? Yeah. If I remember correctly, there's yeah, all Giannis's this... wife is a member of Chris Haynes's wife's family. I believe is how that connection is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's one part of this. Number two, what? Like, like, like what? Like, ex- excuse me, Milwaukee Bucks. I don't quite understand this. I the, the perm, You can make different permutations of this trade. Murray's obviously very talented. I get some of the logic and theory. I just don't quite understand what's really... Like, this doesn't seem really realistic or grounded in reality to me, and I don't really understand like what, it, what trading for him would accomplish considering what their avenues are to making such a deal. Yeah, agreed. And we can run through that quick, right? You and I were texting about it. It's like, okay, you can get you can get there salary wise with like Portis, Bochamp, and whatever. Because right now Dejounte is only making about seventeen, eighteen million dollars. So acquiring him trade wise, you don't need as much salary as the typical All Star caliber guard you might be targeting. Maybe that's why they're interested, but. 
as you said when we were texting about that, yeah, then then they're even thinner, right? So okay, that's not great. And then maybe it's Middleton. As you know, I see Chris Middleton as the MVP of the NBA, so I would not ever advocate for trading him. But on a more less jokey level, like he's too fundamentally important to their team and adding another small guard doesn't make a lot of sense if you're getting rid of your only real wing who is a two-way player. But it did get me thinking about something that I believe Zach Lowe brought up, which is... I think was related to the Lakers, Chris, in their DeJounte pursuit of because DeJounte has kind of a smaller salary, potentially combining him with, I think Zach Lowe brought up Bogdan Bogdanovich, but really you could take your pick of any number of Bucks or Hawks role players on top of Murray. And I guess that was the closest I could get to this making sense was those other role players, the Hawks might be a little more excited about getting off of the salary of those guys, and that might feel to them like value in a trade that could make up for the fact that the Bucks, obviously, with the picks that they've sent out for in, in, in a number of trades and their limited roster pieces, probably can't match what other teams could. If it's like, hey, we'll take, I don't know, DeAndre Hunter off your hands or Clint Capella, I I don't know if either one of those players fit, but you get my point. That was the closest I could get to it, but I really don't know what this rumor was for outside of maybe somebody on the Bucks wanting to show somebody else on the Bucks that they're kind of trying to improve the team, whether that's the players wanting Murray and putting that out there or the management saying, hey, we're, we're trying to upgrade Dame. We're trying to upgrade Giannis. Don't worry, we're not ignoring you. But it, it was very bizarre, no matter how you slice it. And I don't think it's going to happen. No, there's no reason this should happen. And I... Have whoever wants this, have they watched the Atlanta Hawks enough to know that Murray as like your number two guard next to a ball dominant guard is a clunky fit and imperfect? Yeah, I it's it's a weird one. I, I guess you could probably sell him and could just sell the trade as if Murray is going to rediscover some of his point of attack defensive form. The Bucks structure is maybe the best place to do that, more so than other places. And they really only truly do need him to be a kind of point guard defender, whereas other teams might switch more and other teams might ask him to guard bigger guys, which he's not necessarily up to. I, I don't hate his defensive fit, but yeah, the offensive fit is wacky and it just doesn't feel like this is what they need at all. They, they need size, they need depth, they need defense kind of much more than just one position and they don't need to be spending that much for it. So it, it would be a an even more all-in move when that feels like the other direction from what they need to be doing. So I, I honestly hope they don't do this. Forget what might happen. I, I think this would be a, a real mistake. Yeah, like this is a team that got Jake Crowder back in 2024 and it was like a big deal for their depth. That mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah, need they need more Jake Crowders, right? Yeah, they need more like vets who they can at least try. They don't need, and they need more bodies. They don't need like another star, and then you're scraping even. Then like Thanasis is going to end up getting having to play like actual minutes, and then like what what are, what are we doing here? You've you've completely yeah. lost yourself in the sauce if you get to that point. Uh, Murray Murray Steele feels to me, Brendan, like the biggest name, so to speak, that's left to be traded on this market. I just 
I'm, I don't, I, I can't figure out like what this is gonna look like. This is just makes it more. This maybe this, heck, maybe this is just like a, a a Hawks leverage play to drive up value and be like, see, there is another team interested with whoever yeah. they're talking to. You know, I Lord knows it's it's or clutch. You know, clutch yeah. just trying to kind of increase the price or direct him where he wants to go. You never know. It, it, it's so out of nowhere that it's hard to even parse like the the slop. machinations of it you know usually you and i have been around this stuff long enough where it's like okay that leak came for this reason from this party i don't even know where to trace that part of it so i guess we need more info before we can say anything here bingo all right let's move on to celtics nuggets a possible nba finals preview nuggets win the first team all year to beat boston in boston Right, I think first and foremost, we'll get into Jamal Murray, we'll get into Jason Tatum, we'll get into Jokic. We'll look ahead a little bit. This felt like a playoff game, and when I get yeah. two teams at this level playing in the regular season, this is the energy I want. When you get teams at the, of this caliber playing in a, in a random game in January, I want this energy brought to it. It elevates it in such a big way. We're headed into, I don't know if you even caught this. I don't know how many people watching or listening caught this. We're headed into rivalry week again in the NBA. Did you have it circled on your calendar? You know, Did you notice? I, yeah. Um, you missed I it. I got to tell you, this the, it's, the NBA, love basketball, love the NBA. Often very bad at these marketing initiatives that like don't actually mean anything. Yeah. Well, agreed. So my point was going to be that is not getting attention and, and kind of doesn't deserve it. That's something that no one really asked for. This past week in the NBA that we're recapping right now was absolutely incredible. It was an amazing week. We got, it felt like day by day almost breaking my, oh, that might have been the best game of the season. On Tuesday alone, we got two candidates for that with the MVP showdown and then Thunder Clippers, which was maybe still my favorite game of the season so far. Then we got uh, an awesome Thunder Jazz game kind of to end the Jazz winning streak. We've gotten, uh, you know, the last Sunday, we got the Dame Lillard Dame time over Sacramento at home to beat them in a comeback. The Suns look back a little bit and that's been a fun storyline, I think, in the Western Conference as they get back on track and then this game on Friday night. So it feels like we're kind of getting more and more of these. And this one was absolutely a playoff environment. I, I, I agree completely. And you have a note in here that Michael Malone coached like it was a playoff game. What, uh, where, where, where did you feel like that came through? Cause I could follow you, but I want you to tell me, cause I didn't think of it that exact way. I just felt you look at what he said post game and and the way he treated the game and the way he was talking about the performance of his team and I think also just look at the way that he was pretty ruthless in in how he managed minutes and how he managed rotations. Seven guys played actual minutes in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon played forty two, MPJ played thirty seven, Jokic played thirty eight, Murray played thirty seven, Casey Pleat played thirty seven. Your starters played heavy heavy minutes. Peyton Watson, who. I adore, did not shoot well in this game, but got 21 minutes. Reggie Jackson got 21 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. Christian Braun, who was good for them in the finals last year and good for them in the playoffs and their whole title run, got five minutes in this game. Not good and enough for holiday- you to remember his name. Brown. Brown. 
Brown, darn it. Justin Holiday, another guy who's gotten some minutes for them on the year, plays three minutes. He said, these are the seven guys I want to roll with Yeah, going into battle. And he just said, we're going to lean on Jokic. We're going to lean on what we know makes us great. And we're going to go for the win. Other teams might have said, okay, we're going to extend Brown's minutes to his normal allotment. We're going to sneak Zeke Naji minutes because we're thinking of in the future we're going to get a little Jokic time off. You know, we're going to give one of these other guys we have on this roster that we like just some minutes in this environment to get their feet wet a little bit. He just went for it. Michael Malone just said, "These, this, I'm going for this win. Yeah, that's that's a playoff type coaching is just going for the a lot of minutes in that specific way. That that to me is what I meant by that. Absolutely. And I think the center spot is maybe where I'm most intrigued because this this is the whole plot line for the Nuggets this year, right? Is can they get a playoff rotation? Can they can they cobble together enough young guys or do they need to look at a at a trade or a buyout player? What is what is six through eight going to look like? Because that starting lineup is the most cohesive, most balanced best starting unit in basketball. I think they still have that crown, but that can't be enough. And the center spot gets a lot of attention because Zeke Naji was a first round pick of theirs and he's just never been able to stick. I I just think you kind of need to turn the page on that. DeAndre Jordan, nobody for understandable reasons, of course, trusts him to be any sort of minutes player in in a postseason environment, even if it's five to 10. I I don't think Greer is still panicked. And so I just think it's kind of funny this game was one of the first ones where Michael Malone reminded us what we watched the damn team do from, you know, April to June last year, which was that they didn't play anybody like that at center. They played Aaron Gordon as their backup center. And I was kind of workshopping a Peyton Watson is more valuable to Denver than Christian Brown take. And then Michael Malone just sort of beat everybody to the punch and just proved it here because he's big. And that is that's this team's identity but more importantly that's the ingredient you're going to need most often against other teams and Christian Brown Reggie Jackson is kind of ahead of him in the rotation because he's more of a point guard he maybe because he's a vet maybe because he can create his own shot a little easier maybe because he's more similar to Murray I mean we can disagree about if maybe that should be the case but they're duplicative so okay that means Peyton Watson kind of slides into that spot and I want to throw this to you because, yeah, he didn't make shots the other night, but I think you can just see the value with his help defense, with his physicality, his rebounding, his transition scoring, his cutting. He's just better than Jeff Green, right? He's better than the guy who was playing that role for them in last year's postseason already. I think he is better. I think he's a little... There's more volatility because he's younger, as I think the differentiator. Jeff Green was exactly what you knew he was going to be night in and night out because he's been around for so long and kind of understands exactly what he is and does exactly what it is. Watson is still in that searching for his limits phase and searching for what he is phase. And I think there is just a little bit of volatility, a little bit of up and down that comes from that. But, I mean, the fact that he's taking six threes, he only makes the one. But, Brennan, I like the fact that Peyton Watson is out here taking six threes in a big game. It shows you that he has confidence. It shows you that he's not he's willing to fail, which is, I to me, like half the battle for these young guys sometimes is them being willing mm-hmm. to fail and mess up in these big moments. It, it's 100% a big deal. And he's shooting 34% from deep and 71% from the line this season. So... I think that's he's 
he's at the threshold of what he needs to be. But yeah, I guess bigger picture on this game too, outside of the Nuggets rotation and, and some of that stuff. I just think this game was a reminder that the Nuggets are unguardable. I mean, they are Boston. Un- Boston has gotten a lot of credit for their defensive craziness and the schemes. And like, I think Caitlin Cooper, uh, who we had on the show, who's mostly a, a Pacers writer, but she tweeted this clip that went viral a couple weeks ago about how they play man until the the ball crosses this point in the court, and then it switches to zone. And they're they're crazy. They're super well coached. They're versatile. It didn't really matter. The Nuggets' ability to move the ball and and play off of one another and cut. It's just unstoppable when it's when it's working. Boston also, I think, has... You saw some parts of this game where they just did not have an answer for Jokic. And does anyone really have an answer for Jokic? No. Like, ultimately, like, no one really has an answer for, for the big Serbian guy who is here to do a job and do it really well. But it didn't matter, like, if they played Al Horford on him, if they use Porzingis on him, if they were physical with him, if they were letting him go one-on-one and containing the ball movement, if they threw double... It didn't matter what they did. Jokic ate them alive. Jack Maloney over at CBS did a rundown of his baskets. Uh, I'm not going to read the list. You can go find this at CBS. The variation that he had in that game was incredible. The, The variation he had in terms of what he was doing and what he was showcasing in that game, Brendan, was every single tool you have in your toolbox. And if you look at his shot chart, it's green everywhere on the fucking floor. Like, where do you, what are you supposed to do? This guy had yeah. was efficient in every single place, and it does. It just Boston has this great defense. It is varied. It is all of these things. They have the size. It hit their interior defense. Porzingis, to his credit, was physical and is battling and is doing all the stuff you would have wanted from him in this new role for him. Jokic is just not going over. If you, these teams play in the finals, like Jokic is probably just going to do this because he's that damn good. Yeah, I actually thought Porzingis in the post was pretty steady defensively. Like I thought mm-hmm. he was able to not get bowled over, not kind of give space and contest and everything else, but those kind of fall away hip hip or shoulder into the chest of the defender and then it's not even like a dirk fadeaway. It's just like use that tiny amount of space and get the ball up and now there's no contest because that guy you just pushed him two feet back. It's unguardable and, and Jokic was able to use that to his advantage. But I also think the important thing here was Jokic was aggressive. This was a playoff game to me too because Jokic brought the scoring mentality that we finally saw him really embrace during their championship run last year. That's not something he does every night. And I actually thought his turnovers have been way down this year, which is very impressive considering how much he has to do for them. And we think of these guys as finished products so often, and he's not. But in this game, two of his four turnovers were just straight up not being ready for a double team in the post. And so he wasn't even like perfect. And yet he's still at 34, 12, and nine. And I think that really happens because he's looking to score. He he came into the game knowing whether it was that they thought they could take advantage of the Porzingis matchup or they knew Boston's length and athleticism was going to pose a problem for some of these other guys like Gordon. 
I don't know, but he did that, and and obviously it worked. The other thing I was noticing in this game, though, is, or really I've just honestly kind of keyed into this season, maybe because we all kind of learned how to watch this team last year, is the passing from Murray to Jokic. Do you, like, it's, it's insane if you really zoom in on it while you're watching them. The awful angles and no man's land positions that Murray will just chuck it to Jokic like a hot potato in. Like Jokic will just kind of be strolling around like two feet inside the foul line with three guys defensively in the paint. And Murray's like, all right, buddy, it's yours. And he'll just make something happen. It's uh, th- this was the best that I've seen them look all season. And, and it feels when they're playing like this, like it's just, it, I mean, look, Boston was only, they lost by two. Like, we're making it sound like it was a blowout. So I guess we can go to them, and, and they did plenty of good things too. But I don't know what you do about this Nuggets team when they're playing like this. Yeah, I mean, Murray's, Murray at 35, and it's just a reminder of what the upside he can offer and how he can just be a, a damn flamethrower, like doing his best Leonardo DiCaprio at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood act and just torching people mm-hmm. against a team with really good defensive guards. Like, it does not matter that this team has Derek White and Drew Holiday and all these big wings. It's just like, okay, I can find, I can wiggle my way into 35 and in a game that we win by two. And every point I'm going to have is matter. And he he's a big, Jamal Murray is just, is a big game player. He just is a big game, big moment guy. He makes the shots that every defense intentionally gives you, right? Bingo. He's just like, thank you. Awesome. I'll take a weird one-legged off-balance 14-footer along the baseline. Great. Thank you. Love it. And I'll make 15 of 21 shots and I'll beat you. Like it, it's insane. But what did you like from Boston? Cuz, you know, they were they were in this until the very end and again, we're kind of making it sound like they got crushed. They they absolutely didn't. I thought no. I think what you said about Porzingis was kind of the first thing. That was the number one thing I was looking at in this game. Is just how would Boston defend Porzingis? How defend Jokic? Excuse me. And how would Porzingis factor into that? How would he handle the physicality? How who? How would he do in that kind of situation? He did about as well as I think he could have wanted. Jokic just made a ton of tough shots. That's there's nothing to to really feel bad about it. They were still pretty efficient. They were still, I think, overall, as far as Boston goes, like they got a ton of points. They did a really good job of just not turning the ball over, which I think is a big reason why, if you look at this game, why this is game is as close as it was, considering some other things that did not go right. They just did not make mistakes and give the Nuggets free opportunities on the break. That, to me, is kind of where I start. I think the outline of it is good. I, I think, Brendan, the thing that I kept going to when I was thinking about this game and prepping for our show today was I wanted – they win this game if Jason Tatum is like 5% better. Like that's kind of where I kind of came down on, and it's like, okay, they still put up a good offensive efficiency. They didn't turn the ball over. They were – you know, they didn't shoot it particularly well everywhere, but they took care of the ball so well and, and had some spots on the floor that did okay where it did work. Are you I just saying Tatum, Tatum wasn't good enough because he missed shots? But I, I, I'm not even. I'm not even. I think the decision making at times was very Jason Tatumy, and where I felt he forced a couple looks here and there, where I just wanted a slightly better look. But it is just like sometimes you don't make enough shots in a caught, and like that. That's a, that's a difference in a really close game. The, the other part of it, I think, too, is just Boston was also good um, in the times they 
Boston also was, to their credit, I think really good as much as they could be in a game where neither team really shot a lot at the rim, which was kind of a weird quirk of this game. Did well enough at the rim and and slightly more opportunities, I think, to keep this game close. Like There's a couple little things I think they would probably like to do back, but the Tatum thing is probably just a couple two decisions that go a different way. He makes a couple more shots. He he was also kind of hard on himself if you saw some of the comments after the game. So I, I don't think he was particularly pleased with, with how he played in this moment either. There was one three he took on the right wing, I believe, in the fourth quarter, definitely the second half, where he had an open path to the basket and the game was kind of, you know, really tight. And then the last shot, right, where he fades away um, against, I don't remember who was guarding him. I, I want to say KCP um, in that basically the the final real offensive opportunity they had and i like to me it's just sort of at a certain point that's what that's what he is you know yeah and they like you can look at all like they they even had on the espn broadcast that he was like leading the nba in the most layups and dunks off of drives this season and it's funny and and obviously there's always every single celtics game you can go on any social media platform where people are talking about basketball and there will be a highlight of Tatum driving to the basket, getting a, an and one or some sort of ferocious dunk or, or tough layup. And it'll be like, why can't he play this way all the time? It's like, well, yeah, I don't know. You know, Matt, great question, but like, that's what he is. That's what they are. And I don't know really what else there is to say about it, you know? Um, And look, he's not like 36. So maybe there is some later portion of his career where that eventually does click for him. But I guess I just have a hard time picking at it when, again, they've been so good this year. And, you know, they brought in some of these players specifically to balance him in a way that I think has worked. A couple of the things I would say is good, though, from them. Mm -hmm. I actually do to the point we were making about Murray, where it's like you kind of just got to take what he gives. I thought Brown did a pretty decent job playing him physically, bumping him off his spots, not allowing him just straight paths to the basket all that often. It's crazy to say that about somebody who is 12 of 14 uh, (laughs) from two, but I actually do think Brown did it, did a decent job there. And then uh, I think the, the start Porzingis had has to get attention. Mm-hmm. The fact, I think he had 12 points in the first quarter. And I think in a, in a future, if it's a finals matchup or whatever else, Porzingis as a shooter making even if it's not Jokic but especially when it is Jokic guarding him have to close out and close that distance and staying committed to that and then when it isn't Jokic staying committed to getting the ball to Porzingis in the post and really 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 attacking that matchup I think that's what I would anticipate Joe Missoula would focus on home in on in a in a game plan if they were to maybe next time they play in the regular season but definitely in a playoffs environment because that worked i i you know i didn't go watch beat by beat of why they went away from it but porzingis only had nine points the rest of the way that felt like meat on the bone there that that really could make denver uncomfortable defensively yeah i agree and denver is gonna have some issues i think against what boston does if they if these teams play in the finals if this is what our finals matchup is, Porzingis and what he does, the kind of starts he can get off of, plus the big wings, even if it's the, this version that where I, I personally would like just a little more variation in the way they attack, just a little, a couple more mid-rangers, a couple more drives to the rim, 
get some more free throws out of this team. I think there's there's some meat on that bone. But even if they don't change anything and this is the recipe, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good run at what Denver it's it's going to be a pretty tight hard run at what Denver is and what Denver is not on defense, right? Like it's going to stretch yeah. them. It's going to it's going to put Murray in uncomfortable positions and wear him out. It's going to it's going to really test the upper limits of what KCP is as your main wing defender in certain moments. Like it, it is a real test for Denver. It's it, frankly like the, this win just speaks really well. The fact that Denver is the team to go in and beat Boston just in survive the Porzingis thing and 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 we're so competitive against it and, and handled this well. That just speaks to I think how good Denver is that they went in and handled a lot of what went did go right for Boston and are the first team to beat Boston in Boston all year. That that is tells you I think the at the quality that Denver has even even if we're you know like are we. Sh- do they need to make a trade upgrade at Reggie Jackson? Should Brown just play? Like, even if there are these questions about them, the quality of that yeah. team is just so, so, so high. No, I think you said it. I'll just shout out one more aspect of how much closer to the spring of 2023 form they looked to be in in a season where their effort has fluctuated and their health has fluctuated. I thought MPJ's defense was pretty damn good yesterday, and that's another thing that will need to be there against Boston or a lot of other high championship caliber teams and that's a big reason they were able to get through those playoff rounds last year so salute to him for for bringing it and he had a a cold shooting first half and was still able to stay engaged on that end and and make a big impact and that's what we saw him do when when his shot wasn't always falling last year too so yeah this was a super impressive game and one of the better ones i think of the year for sure yeah i think i this this i think is my favorite regular season game of the year so far can't argue with one. you. I'll, I'll, I'll go, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Thunder stand, so I'm always going to default yeah. there, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, before we go on to our, our WNBA for agency look ahead, Brennan, who would you favor in the finals matchups between these two teams right now? The Nuggets. Same. Same. I mean, hard to say anything else after they went on the road and did this, but even just generally speaking, I, I think it's an offense league, and if your offense has solutions for more things and you're less guardable i i'm gonna favor you and it's gonna take a lot for me to feel like anybody has a better offense than the nuggets uh i mean forget this season for like the next five years i feels like yeah I, on that note i agree with you too i just th- i think we gotta stop saying like the most efficient offense like I, I understand like statistically we're getting into this era where offenses are like this is the best offense in nba history the best offense in like recent NBA history, it's the war. It's either the the KD Warriors or this Nuggets team. And I know the Kings had higher offensive efficiencies and all of that stuff. Yeah, Denver's seventh in offense right now. No, they're not. That <laughs> you know no, what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, like they're not. Like, I get, I get it. This is the best. That's the that's the offense that if I'm an opposing head coach and I'm an opposing team, that's the, the offense that freaks me out the most if I'm game planning for yeah. them. Yeah. Nope. And Aaron Gordon right. was bad on offense in this game. And it's like, it didn't even yeah. matter. No, they still had like an above average offensive efficiency. And they're like getting like, bleh. I do just want them, Brennan. I want them to make a, tra- I want one trade. I don't know if it's like, should they go weird and go like a Jordan Clarkson? Should they just get like a veteran point guard that's better than Reggie Jackson? I just want one Nuggets trade on the peripheral that can come in and like superpower this up another level. I'm all for it. They don't have a lot of salary. No, they do not. That, <laughs> that they do not. All right, let's go to WNBA free agency questions. We're gonna do five big 
WNBA free agency questions. We can we'll rip through these a little bit. The moratorium for free agency is is up, uh, I believe. Yeah, it's up. I have Sunday. a date right, Brennan. Sunday, as we're recording this, we're ready to go. We're ready to rock. Number question number one, Brennan Clean. What happens with Jaquel Jones? And what else on top of that do the Liberty do with some concern over Marie Johannes' status and some other things and their super team status? This to me is if John Quill Jones decides to go elsewhere, this is already like the, the idea that there's a clear number two to the aces number one, I think, goes out the window. I think a lot is riding on John Quill Jones even more than than some other players we're gonna get to. Yeah. So I'm probably gonna refer to this many times during this little preview and we'll check back in because the moratorium is really long in the WNBA it lasts all the way until February 1st so you know things will kind of trickle it's not the big flood like it is in the NBA but the next did a predictions piece and they uh, obviously are, are super plugged in and cover the whole league and do a good job of it and going down the list they have their Neko Gumake prediction Brianna Stewart and then third is John Quill Jones <coughs> And she was the first player after those top two, you know, MV, former MVP franchise players in Agumake and Stewie, where there was actually some split among the next staff of where the player would go. They got like 11, 12 votes for returning to New York, but then Atlanta and Los Angeles popped up here, which at least tells me that we're not crazy to imagine a world in which she does not come back. Honestly, though, the thing that makes me the most certain she would is that they need her so damn badly. Yeah. And it's just like, you you do whatever you possibly can. I know that there are money limits. You know, it's a salary cap sport like they all are. But, like, do you want to, you know, can we can we help you find a nice, like, dog dog-sitting company in Brooklyn? Do you want, like, catering from a different restaurant than maybe we did last year could we you know hook you up with like they're I, whatever by they're sponsored by weeble can we get a deep and a varied uh, portfolio of of investments for john quill jones yeah can can she take a an off-season tour with the size to wherever it is that they venture around the world with their various business deals and, and get john quill involved like whatever it takes because i mean her their season flipped when she flipped and they can't win the championship without her. So I think she has to go back. I think that they have to do whatever they possibly can, even if that means, for instance, moving on from other players or I don't know. But they're not a, they're not, forget a super team. They're not a, a, a title, real, really top level threat without her. There's no clear number two in the WNBA if John Cole Jones leaves the Liberty, I think is where I end up with that. And there might there might still be a very large gap. I think if the finals last year taught us anything is that the aces are here and everyone else is, is a little bit down the pecking. All right, number question number two. Brenda, what happens with Elena Deladon? Well, I guess where I look, and we talked about this a little bit when the news broke in a, in a previous episode that she was very likely to explore leaving is I just go to teams that need offense, right? Because the reality is she is not a huge difference maker defensively. Even at her peak, she was not that. She's older now. She's had injury problems. I don't think 
you want to put her in a situation where she's trying to kind of lift a, a young developing team up and having to do too much. You don't want her on an older team where, you know, injuries happen and suddenly she's lifting too much. So I honestly, I know we kind of threw this out more from a geographical standpoint and her ties to the Northeast and, and everything else, but the sun make a lot of sense to me. Connecticut makes a lot of sense to me in that we'll talk about another player momentarily who might end up being one of the bigger free agents that, that changes teams as well in their center, Brianna Jones. I think their team is best when Alyssa Thomas is playing small. She was an MVP candidate, a, a damn near won the MVP award playing that position for them after Jones got hurt last year. And it's a lot easier to fill in a, a smaller team like that when you have a big scoring forward like Deladon. They need offense. They need scoring. Tiffany Hayes has retired. That's the best match I can think of for her because their offense was fourth in the NBA, and I think that's kind or in the WNBA, and I think that's where they've not ever been able to get over the hump. And she would do a lot to get them over that hump, I think, and and really make them an even for, more formidable threat to that top two in the league. You you referenced it earlier. The next has their in their preview. That was the overwhelming winner, was the Connecticut Sun for her. Washington, number two, Indiana, Vegas, New York, and Seattle all tied otherwise. The real heel move would be aces, just for, like, lols, but the Sun make a lot of sense. And it would be and, – and also, like, considering her college career path and, like, everything, that would be kind of like a fitting full circle part of this as well, not just – like, there would be something very fitting about her, like, going back to somewhere that she didn't end up in before mm-hmm. she ended up as one of the best pros of the last 10 years. So she, she is still very, I, she's like 14 in their poll, which I don't really know what that means, but yeah, I'm I was wondering the same thing. I think it's, it might just be random. Cause like diamond to shields is above her and like, no. Yeah. So I think it might just be uh, a random list, yeah. but yeah, I didn't even realize she was on here when I was first scrolling until you said that. And I'm like, okay, how far down? But no, I think it's a, yeah. I mean, look, I think the other thing too, is going to a command, team command where F, Brendan just command F. Yeah, exa- no, literally I did command yeah. F Elena okay. was where I was at <laughs> while you were talking. Okay. I just think too, like you, you also, to my point about, you don't want to go somewhere too young or too old. Like, yeah, Alyssa Thomas is a is a complete dog. I don't know how she never misses time. She acts like surgery is not even a, a significant thing. She's a superhuman. But like, Dewana Bonner is like about to be thirty seven. That team is maybe not quite as deep as you would want, but it's at least somewhere where game to game she wouldn't be required to do so much. You know, she's going to a team with an MVP candidate. That 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 does a lot to make it, I think, different than the Mystics where we were talking last year. Are they a dark horse? Are they a dark horse? And it ended up being that she wasn't quite as great as she used to be, you know, four or five years ago when she was winning MVP awards. And then the other the rest of the team wasn't able to step up in her place. So I think Connecticut gives her a little more of that. It's not perfect, but... In a league where, you know, the talent tends to consolidate, it might be her best chance. Bingo. All right, let's go on to our next question. Brennan, that's what happens with Skylar Diggins-Smith. I think the name point guard on the WNB free agency market, I think certainly someone who you would know this better than me because she was in your backyard, I think was pretty unhappy, to say the least, with where she's been at with the Mercury the last couple seasons. And I think there's, there's some interesting places for her to go. To me, the Sun are, are one of them as well. If she wanted to, if she could end up there, that would make some sense to me. I could see Chicago making sense. I, the Minnesota option 
makes a lot of sense to me as well if she wanted to go there. But this is someone that I think can go on this market and be a real difference maker for a team that wants to connect them. Is she going to make this uh, help a team on her own necessarily become a title contender on and give us another team that we can speculate about pushing the aces? I don't know if I'm there with her, but I do think that she is someone that is going to go to wherever she ends up. She's going to go make a team much better and much more composed when, when she goes wherever she's going to go next. Absolutely. Um, my instinct has always been Atlanta, but then, you know, she didn't show up on, they didn't show up on her guesses on this next preview. So now I'm kind of checking myself a little bit. I'm, I have their cap sheet up. They have 616 almost $617,000 in cap space. You know, they have only a couple of protected contracts in Cheyenne Parker and Alicia Gray. They have Ari McDonald and Haley Jones, who they've drafted in recent years, and, and A.D. Durr, who came in and kind of rejuvenated their career in Atlanta. But none of those players are like cornerstones of your franchise by any means. I mean, this is a team that I think the the building blocks are Howard, Gray, and, and maybe you would say Parker, but even then, she's a vet. That's not a long-term answer either. So I'm struggling to see why Skyler couldn't go to the Dream and and slot right in and, and provide them some stability. This is a team that blew leads frequently. That was a mess down the stretch of close games a lot of the time, turning the ball over and not having a lot of plan. And asking Ryan Howard especially to do way too much as a ball handler and creator that she's maybe never going to do, but definitely not ready for right now. So I still tend to think Atlanta, but I'm kind of feeling like I'm going crazy that uh, the experts here did not peg her there. And, and Chicago was the other high vote getter in addition to your idea of Connecticut. Where are you at on her if it's LA or Minnesota or Seattle? Like, where are you at on some of these other options? It feels to me like she could fit a bunch of different places to varying degrees what it would mean. But I think there are just like a lot of good fits for her. If you want to like fan cast her at a bunch of different spots. Yeah, she could fit anywhere. I mean, the sparks, we just heard that they're going to move on from Jordan Canada in a sign in trade likely. And she was a breakout player for them. Finally was able to get her offense to an efficient enough place that, you know, you're talking about, you know, borderline all-star caliber player with how great her point of attack defense is, her transition scoring. They don't want her for some reason, or it doesn't make sense to keep her. Jasmine Thomas, who was on their team last year, just retired and is joining the Dallas Wings front office. So LA makes perfect sense. Look, she's a, a guard who can shoot, plays solid point of attack defense, and is unselfish. So, yeah, she fits anywhere. So it's just a matter of positionally which teams kind of need a, a a lead ball handler. Not everybody does. But if, if you have that opening in your roster, you should probably explore signing Skylar Tiggins-Smith. Yeah, it's a, she's going to be good. I, that's that's going to be a very fun domino to see where that ends up. All right. Question number four, Brennan, can a team or will a team come out of nowhere and make a big splash? Is there a team we're not thinking about? Is there a team that we're unsure about where they're at? Is there someone that's going to come out out of nowhere and do something aggressive or, or at least push through something aggressive, even if it doesn't totally work out? Yeah, this is always hard in a uh, 12-team league, right? There's not a lot of surprises or options for players and teams and movement like that I guess the thing that I would maybe kind of throw out that is going to be the curveball in this season for the W is that it's an Olympic year 
And so we're going to see the prioritization rules, which have been pretty controversial. I think, you know, understandable from a league standpoint, what those rules do is they make you be on your WNBA team at a certain time for a certain amount of time so that your team knows if they're signing you, they have you. And the league knows if you're on a roster, you're on a roster, not okay, I'm playing on the Mystics, for instance, but then I have to go away for two months because my national team has, I've signed a contract with them to play for the Olympics and all these camps and all these exhibitions and everything else. So players, whether they're international or in some cases, American players who have gotten in with international teams of other countries, if those players can't commit to being here for the full season, they might just not play in the league this year and and go play in the Olympics and whatever other various kind of things around that. So that's, I think, the other thing I'm watching. Gabby Williams is a name like that. And uh, there's obviously plenty of international players. We basically saw Emma Mieseman, who was huge for the Mystics once upon a time, and the Sky when they won in 2021. She, she barely had a WNBA career because of a lot of this. So that's kind of the domino that I think we'll have to see kind of which way it falls. Jackie Powell just wrote a really good story about this, I think, at Yahoo that people should go check out as well. Uh, my name, my ID here is Brennan, is, and I'm, I stole this from our friend Sabrina Merchant from The Athletic. Indiana Fever, let's let's get let's get let's get weird. Let's spend some money. Let's let's go. Let's try to be aggressive. Like Satu Sabale would be a dream. I think she probably just ends up back in Dallas. Um, also, I think someone with international basketball possibilities which is complicated for this year but some like i want them to just go try to find a star wing can they get clea copper from chicago can they like can you can you make a trade for somebody else dewana bonner can you make a call on her and see if we could get there just go get and or at least attempt to go get a, a sabali or somebody else throw them the max see if you can get them or not and roll into next year with caitlin clark Melissa Smith, X star wing and Aaliyah Boston. Let's go. Like, why not? I love it. Some people seem to think that Deladon and Natasha cloud are a a, a package deal. I don't really know if that's, there's any reason for that, or it's just kind of like fun thing to imagine, but I like cloud in Indiana, especially if they do get Caitlin Clark, you know, we all can hype her up, but defensively she's going to need some structure around her. Right. So like, Get a great big point of attack defender like Cloud, and you have Aaliyah Boston patrolling the back line. You have a big forward defender in Alyssa Smith already, and and you know she'll develop on that end as she goes. I like Cloud as the Fever's kind of big reach, and they have a, not a huge amount of money, but enough money to get one difference maker. And I think Cloud could be that player. But yeah, I mean if they can reach higher and convince some other team to to trade them something great, maybe maybe Smith is kind of the the thing you offer there, uh, that that could be cool. But, you know, probably more realistic is like you, you find your one target in free agency that's going to make a big impact. And I think with that, they could make a, you know, they're probably a playoff team. They could they could make some noise. Yeah, they have like 10 players under contract already. Mm-hmm. Clark, like Sabrina had this in her piece uh, in her offseason primer. Caitlin Clark, if they, let's just say Caitlin Clark turns pro, they draft her and they will at one. Kaylin Clark, Kelsey Mitchell, Lexi Hall, and Alyssa Smith, and Aaliyah Boston is a starting five you already have under contract. Then you also already have Erica Wheeler, Grace Berger, Christy Wallace, mm-hmm. Victoria Vivens, and, and Victoria Saxton already under contract. That's 10 players. Like, you don't yeah. have a lot of money at that point, but maybe maybe uh, you get a little weird. 
Let's get weird. I could see them trading Erica Wheeler. I know she's a franchise favorite, um, and she's being probably a little bit overpaid. Um, But once you have Clark, and I think Grace Berger, I know that's like a very, very deep cut here, but like she's pretty solid. So she could be a backup uh, point guard, I think. Also, just another like very easy like in-state promotional thing with Grace Berger. Like that's that's just like yeah catnip you know like there's there's some things they could do i want them to get weird let's let's go for an indian you're only gonna you only live once as uh as the poet drake said all right last one who can be a non-great superstar signing brendan i think the natasha cloud a name you already brought up is my one for this i just think her as a big defender that can go be on a really good team in a bunch of different spots i think is my number one as far as that but i think you know if jordan candida as you said is going to be signed and traded i think that's another one not quite a star star but someone that can go to a really good team and and make a team better and fit into whatever they're building there like maybe her in minnesota you know maybe her in in some of these other spots i think those are two names to me that that stand out as non-stars non-super name yeah. players that can go and make a big difference yeah, so I'll throw out one that would kind of be a domino effect of some of the other moves we've talked about. If the Sun were able to get, whether it's Skyler or it's Elena Deladon, and they spend some of their open money and maybe check off some of their we-need-scoring-we-need-shooting boxes in the offseason, I could see Rebecca Allen becoming available. And she's a player who is a big shooter, who has evolved to kind of be even more than that, a similar maybe trajectory to like a Duncan Robinson that we've kind of seen in recent years where she can put the ball on the ground now. She can make the right pass. She's big enough to kind of use her body to defend. She's, she's a fit everywhere. So I could see her coming loose from the sun. And if she joined a, a, a team that already had some talent and maybe some playmakers to get her the ball, like she would make them a lot better too. So that, that'd be mine. The last name I, I wish she wasn't on the questions list, but she's a f- former MVP who obviously had last year kind of go a certain way. And we haven't heard much from her. Do you have any predictions about what happens with Candace Parker? Feels like she's going to come back, don't you think? Wouldn't we have heard it by now if she was going to retire? Yeah, I feel like maybe, but also she should take as much time as she wants, I guess. You know, if she wants mm-hmm. to figure it out, she'll be 38 in April. Like, it's can't physically be the easiest thing after all the injuries and stuff. Um no, no. Um, I, I think if she were to come back, it probably would just have to be the the aces, in my opinion. I mean, you know, un- unfinished yeah, business to some degree for her personally, right? And I think she's at a point in her life where she can take a pay cut. But, you know, her I believe her wife is pregnant again. I don't know when they're due or anything like that. But, you know, she's, she's building a family and starting her next career in media. So I, no one would fault her at any moment if she chose to hang it up. But she seems like a freak competitor who uh, can't can't step away, I think. Yeah, I mean, Diet Taurasi is going to be like 50 years old still playing professional basketball. So like, who are we to like speculate about? <laughs> can't support I mean, it's one of those things, right, where you're, when you're able to kind of step away from going overseas like some of these athletes have later in their careers, the WNBA season is it's short all things considered, right? It's not the commitment of like, you know, some of these soccer players who are like 40 being relied upon way too much to go run around for three hours once a week and practice all the time and stuff. And, like, and now, uh, Yeah, and now you're seeing like ACL tears and like all these whack injuries. Like, huh, maybe playing a ton of games for all the time and all these competitions is actually bad for your long-term sustainability. Yeah, whereas at WNBA, it's like, yeah, play your 40 games, we'll manage your minutes, you know, we'll, we'll take it easy in practice. You have a, a good medical staff and, you know, 
come up here for, for four months and then do whatever you need to do after that. So I, I think that ask being a little less than some sports is part of why these players are able to, to keep it going. But yeah, I mean, the, also the Olympics, right? Is Candace doesn't have the greatest record with Team USA. I'm not sh- I don't think she'll be in it, but some of these other players are probably thinking that. So we'll see going to be interesting all right before we get to waving the flag to wrap up today's show i want to tell you about our friends at homage homage is the ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with nba and wnba licenses that use vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest tourist traditions and figures across sports music and pop culture use our link below to make your purchase and support the just basketball show i have a super comfy cleveland guardians hoodie on from Amager right now. It's cold in Cleveland, Ohio. This is how I'm keeping warm and toasty on a Sunday. I have my eye once it's back in stock on the Guardians starter jacket they have. They did these amazing starter jackets. I'm going to get a Guardians one, and then I'm going to get a Browns one next fall when, when football season is back, and they do hopefully do that drop again. So use our link below. Buy yourself or somebody you care about something nice. Support the Just Basketball Show via our friends at Amage. All right, waving the flag. Brennan, Orlando's in kind of a weird spot. They just lost to Philly in a game where they just kind of got handled and decimated and dominated. Yeah. They've now, after that game, had lost 5 of 6, and 13 of their last 9 have fallen from as high as 2 in the East to in the play-in space. Falling a little further back of that middle pack of Cleveland and New York and all those teams kind of in that cluster in the middle below the upper upper echelon. But you look at this game, you look at where they're at. What what stands out to you about what's going on with Orlando right now? I hate to use one game against a great team as like a prophecy of all these other changes that need to happen. But I just think they need to shuffle the lineup until Franz gets back. It feels a little too cute with the Caleb Houston and Chumo KK in the starting lineup. Like, the first quarter just got... I mean, they outscored Philly in the first quarter at the end of it, but that's because the bench saved the day. The first few minutes, I believe Philly got out to a 10-2 or a 10-4 lead, and the offense just could not keep up. And Paolo had... a. A weird one of those weird games where he's not able to get enough shots up, which we've seen happen with him from time to time. But he also didn't get to the line or have a ton of assists. So, it, you know, him and Suggs having to be the creators, even for a few minutes, you know, they're, they're not playing all those other starters a ton. But even to start these games out, it's it's just it's putting them in too much of a hole. And then you look at the bench and it's like Anthony Black, Joe Ingles, Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz. <laughs> Even Mo Wagner, all guys who can kind of create a little bit of offense, all playing off the bench. So I don't know if it's start Cole Anthony until Franz gets back. I don't know if it's just put Fultz back where he kind of belongs here. And now that he's had a few games under his belt to get physically right, you put him there. I don't think they want to put Ingles in the starting lineup. And I get that. Their bench has been a huge strength. You don't want to just, again, over panic here. But that was my thing watching this game is I'm like, they're, they're just shooting themselves in the foot from an offensive standpoint when that's already such an uphill battle for them most nights. And and where they are now is just they're in a really weird spot as far as the East goes. They're they're two ahead of the ninth-seeded Bulls. And you know, ahead of the Hawks, ahead of the Nets, ahead of the Toronto, all that stuff. But they're, they're now a full four games back of the four-seeded Cavs that they play on Monday. Yeah. They're three and a half back of the Knicks, who are fifth. And obviously, there's a lot of season to go. We still have February and March and half of April to go before 
the seat the the seating is fully solidified, but this does matter. I mean, they're two games back of Indiana and Miami at this point as well. They're not exactly. I mean, they're a playing team now, right? Like, I think that's just yeah. sort of yeah. That's their. That's kind of what you have to plan for. Yeah. Yeah, and like that's okay. I think it's just we saw they're so young. It's it's year two for Paolo, all that stuff. But we saw like an upper echelon and like things. So much things go right that I think we got excited about it, and then things have obviously gone a certain way. That's and it's a tough important. part of their schedule. Like I guess you know that's something to to say. Like I in the past. Two weeks, they've lost by double digits one, two, three times in five five losses. But within that, they actually beat Denver, if, if we can remember that game. But they those losses, those five losses, have come to Minnesota, Miami, OKC. They beat New York, which is an impressive win. They lost to the Hawks, which was a, a crappy one. That was the DeJounte game winner. And then they got beaten to, you know, crap by the Sixers in this game we're talking about. So those are those are competitive losses to good teams. But you just look at the the point differential too. It's not like this team has like gotten the short end of the stick in clutch games or is having some sort of bad luck here. Like they're just they're just not as consistently good as the teams ahead of them and and though you know the Knicks and the Pacers now have also made trades to get better we expect the Heat might do that we expect the Sixers might do that so yeah I I think you're kind of probably back to where you maybe thought you'd be at the beginning of the season right if you're Orlando in your heart of hearts and you just gotta kind of put yourself in position to try to win those games and and be as competitive as possible but do you agree with me that they might need to shuffle this lineup up yeah, I do. I th- I think if you don't have Franz and, you know, when he's back, maybe just answer some of these questions. But I, I think you kind of have to. This is one of the more offensively challenged teams. And even when we talk about how good Paolo is or, or Franz's upside, it is often so hard for those guys to score. It is often so hard for these guys just to function in a way that I think other superstars, other potential superstars get the space to do so. I think it'd be worth it just to kind of goose yourself a little bit and the Cleveland's like on a surge, but I don't think they should look at Monday's game against the Cavs and think, oh, we can't win that game with with a good performance. Like they're going to be at home. You can win that kind of game. And if you look at their upcoming schedule, you know, like I, you, you get they well, they're getting Cleveland on the second of back because they have Miami today as we're recording this to get the Cavs on Monday. And Franz is questionable for that game. I just want to throw in there. So if he ends up playing, we're recording this before the game. Just want to put that out there because we usually clip these Orlando segments. I don't want people to think we're dumb. We just timing wise yeah. Franz might play. And maybe that, like you said, solves some of these problems, but their schedule, yeah. it does ease up too. There's still some very tough games. I mean, they do have Memphis on Friday, which is like after some time off, which is whatever the Grizzlies magic line is. I, I might be tempted just to nuke the magic line after they've been off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then play a very poor Grizzlies team on Friday, even if it's on the road, then they get, they get Phoenix, they get Dallas, they get San Antonio, they get Minnesota, then they get the Pistons. And then they, you get the Pist- you get the Spurs again in there. The reality is there's, there are some easier games. There's just a lot of tough ones. Cause the NBA has like a lot of really good competitive teams, but you kind of just that that tells us something at the very least about them. Um, I do you have like a if you're just going to put one guy from the bench into the starting lineup, is there someone you would you would point to as saying that's the guy that I, I want to slide up from the bench and put in the starting lineup? Well, so I think the thing to say too is like I kind of think that they should explore this even when Franz comes back, but I don't. Yeah, so I don't think. 
you can take Suggs, Bancaro, or, or Wagner out, right? Obviously. So no. it's like, what's your other guard? Or do you make a center change? I kind of... I don't think the Gogo Batadze thing is like as great as some people seem to, and he's kind of held on to that starting spot even with Wendell Carter in. I didn't hate the idea of a while ago when all three centers were playing well. Like, why not start Mo Wagner and space out a little bit better, um, even more than what Goga or, or Wendell, who can both technically knock down threes but aren't really going to get anybody's uh, a help there. I just think they like the defensive stuff there, so maybe they just keep that. I would say... The easiest thing is probably just to start Fultz and at least have a little bit of a guy who can take the ball out of these players' hands, including Suggs, who's had to do a little too much lately, and see if that can help. And then from there, maybe you try something else. I just don't think they want to start Cole or or Ingles. And those are the two most obvious guys, but I just think they value their bench production too much. So they kind of want the discrepancy. It's just how much of it can you really handle when you're getting in these early holes every night. Yeah, and I, I thought about I did the Anthony Black thought exercise, and it's like okay, you'd have to I think up his minutes from twenty and get him up to more to twenty five, so it's not just like a fake, random starter kind of thing with him. I mm-hmm. think ultimately, so I, I think you're right. Fultz kind of would be the the easiest one, and then you also maybe just collect more data on what he feels like with your core as you get closer to the deadline and in his looming free agency, which we talked about a little bit last week. We should just shout Brennan before we go. Uh, Tyrese Maxey was pretty fucking good to close out this game against Orlando. Uh, this the, Embiid was great in this game as well, but Tyrese Maxey is kind of the one who slammed the door shut on Orlando to, to open the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, the maybe guy who, especially in those Maxey-only minutes, he would have hoped could go toe-to-toe was Cole Anthony, and these bigger wing heavy teams like Philly, he just he just isn't going to have it every night. It's it's a lot to ask of a small guy who doesn't get to the basket explosively to kind of score consistently against that type of a def- defensive team, and he didn't. And that's a big part of why Maxi was a team high plus seventeen, Cole Anthony team worse minus twelve, and things got so ugly. So yeah, just I think a bad matchup and like trying to deal with Embiid without a great center sucks. You know, Goga like okay, good luck, but. But still, like you would have liked it to be a little more competitive at home. Yeah. We're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. This has been a loaded, jam-packed, all-over-the-map, just basketball show for January 22nd. Subscribe, rate, review if you have not already. Check out our TikTok. Uh, we talked about Thrive Fantasy earlier. My guy, your friend of mine, Colby Olsen, will be doing TikToks over on our TikTok page five days a week during the week, going through props we like along the NBA. Winning record on the year for those keeping track at home, a.k.a. Colby and myself. But tune in later this week. We'll have another episode up. More slot probably to come. It's that kind of time of the year. We'll talk about uh, the other Wave in the Flag team, the Kings in some capacity on that show. Much, much more to come here on the Just Basketball Show. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day.